0: This is Recode Media with Peter Kafka. That is me. I'm delighted to talk to Andrew Osorkin, who has many jobs. He helped uh, create billions. He has a day job at the New York Times. He also has a day job at CNBC. He's a very busy man. delighted he could take some time to talk to us about the story of the month, week, year. It's called GameStop. Welcome, Andrew.
1: I don't know. Do we think it's good? That's going to be a very interesting thing. In a year from now, are we going to think this was the story of the year? Was this a story of the moment? And as we've watched even just this today. The stock falling the way it has. Does that mean the story is over? You know, we're,
0: re- we're recording this Tuesday afternoon. You might get it Tuesday night, Wednesday morning. It's a it's a story in progress, but it, it is interesting, right? Had we talked a week ago. I think this was still in the like, that's a really weird thing that's happening. It's kind of a sideshow, yep. but it's interesting. And then by middle end of the week, all sorts of people, sober people were saying, listen, you know, I, I, the, the people at Reddit have a point and whatever happens here, things are changing fundamentally in the in way we deal with finance. But now if GameStop goes back to where it was and it's it's falling it's at what 90 bucks now we just, we're, we just we're at down?
1: 90 bucks now so
0: down from 468 if it just turns out that this was just a weird anomalous pop that a bunch of people got excited about it was a bubble we've seen bubbles before um maybe it's not a story after all maybe it does go i don't away. know
1: i think we're gonna see more of it maybe not in GameStop, but i think the the idea of a social media enabled trade where you can actually gather people and funds and money real money I think is not is not going anywhere, and I think you're gonna see that play itself out in terms of how it impacts even traditional aspects of of Wall Street and hedge funds and even the idea of shorting and how people think about that kind of risk and everything
0: um I want to talk more about that, but first of all yep. um let's 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 ask you where where you think this goes does it does gamestop go back to where it was a month ago? Is it back into single digits? Um, are we done here?
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm not a stock market prognosticator at all. I, I, you know, just on a fundamental basis, most people would suggest it's a 10 or 20, maybe 30, $40 stock. I don't, I don't know. You can, yep. you can take your pick somewhere in there. By the way, for all you know, it could, uh, it could trade at a premium to that for, for some period of time. It's been shocking to me that actually GameStop executives have not decided to issue shares amid all of this and try to actually raise cash. Why do you think that f- why do you think that is? And have that transformational moment that sort of that they could try to turn themselves into, you know, Netflix from when it was DVD by mail into, into Netflix uh, the the e-commerce giant that it is. Why? I don't know. I wonder. I susp- I look, my my imagination runs wild. I wonder whether lawyers Say to a company like that, look, if you issue shares right now and raise, raise money, you're going to be accused of market manipulation yourself. That's what I wonder. And interestingly, you have not seen the senior executives, at least thus far, sell their shares either. And I imagine it's for the same reason.
0: Yeah, that's the Matt Levine theory. The Bloomberg columnist yep. we've had on the show is that is that that you you're just inevitably going to face a lawsuit if you're selling a share and you're management uh, at, at those. Prices.
1: But interestingly, AMC Theaters did it mm-hmm. last week, and and there was not an outcry. There was not, and we'll see. You know, we'll see what happens. Whether there's lawsuits, um,
0: the the idea that this is sort of a permanent feature. I part of it. Part of me has a question about that. Just practically, right? One of the reasons that that GameStop and AMC worked is that the street wasn't paying attention to Reddit for the most part. I'm sure there were people who were looking there, right? But now the secret is out that that if we can all get together, we can all push up a heavily shorted stock. They all did that playbook and now everyone knows about it. And Wall Street Bets on Reddit had like 2 million people a week ago and now it's at 7 million, right? And they can move around. But the whole idea is you wanted a place to gather. And so, you can't do it secretly because then it doesn't work, uh, the social the, the, social, the social, media. And, right. and if now everyone is hip to this and they go, all right, well, that's right. how that short squeeze works, then we can just sort of react appropriately. And maybe there'll still be a couple of things that spike here and there. But it seems a lot harder to pull this off once, once the man knows about it.
1: No, I think you're right. I think there's something particularly unique about even the stocks themselves in terms of how heavily shorted there were. In terms of this sort of true supply and demand imbalance that revolved around GameStop, it was very, there's very few stocks out there that had that kind of short demand. But I do think Wall Street will get hip to Reddit and will we'll be focused on that. But I also think that short sellers as a function of this are going to be a little bit more reticent about shorting stocks, especially if, you know, once you get up to 20, 30, 40% of the float. I think that people are going to say well actually there is a risk of a squeeze potentially and I bet you that banks may not even allow you know you know provide margin for that kind of thing because they'll also understand the risk. So things have happened here and I also think there's been a real conversation an important one about Making the system fairer, right? I, I do. You had, a, think you had a
0: column today in the Times about that. We should talk about. That.
1: I we can talk about it, but I do think there are elements of this that are moving the conversation forward. As you know, though, I still have real questions as to whether this was a genuine protest or whether this was a pump and dump scheme masquerading as something else.
0: I mean, they're they're not mutually exclusive, right? There are people there who were crusading, and there's people there obviously who were pumping and dumping. And maybe they're the same people, but there's certainly people doing. Look, in many ways,
1: it's like it's like any protest. It starts with real ag- aggrieved folks and invariably gets co-opted by looters and opportunists. And I, I think you can it, very much the way you described, you can have both. And we probably do right
0: now. Um, this idea that 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 this is a protest against unfair. I get the idea that that. Wealth is not distributed equally and people are upset about that. It's hard to reconcile that with pushing up a stock because that's really a very specific thing. It, 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 it only benefits or hurts very specific people. Sometimes I'll hear people say, well, I'm defending GameStop, but this has nothing to do with GameStop. It's totally separate from GameStop, except for this theory you have where they could sell all their, their shares, raise a ton of money and become a different company. But short of that, this, in, this exists entirely separately from GameStop. Maybe you're sticking it to Melvin Capital or some other hedge fund, but everyone else on Wall Street is making money off this trade. Um, it seems... And I feel very old man saying this. It. So it just seems ridiculously naive to, to, for folks to make that argument.
1: Look, but, but let me, I'm not going to push back on you, but go, I, I go do think, there, I think there's, there's this argument for some. And again, I, I, I'm not sure uh, really where the, the true shareholders or investors that are involved in this, what they really think. And I think it's this very mixed group. But to the extent that there is a protest going on here. I think what they've done is say, we have manipulated this stock. It's a symbol. It's a symbol that we have been able to manipulate this stock. We have been able to play this game and we have manipulated it in the same way that hedge funds and Wall Street and the wealthy have have been manipulating the system forever. That's the sort of meta Mm -hmm. take if you buy it. If you right. buy it, and I imagine there's some people out there that do have that, I think there's other people who actually just wanted to make a profit by the way, uh you know, you know, Mr. Hello, Kitty, when he started this, it wasn't a protest; it just wasn't it was he actually thought there was value in gamestop mm-hmm. and would would run around YouTube telling everybody anybody who would listen to him that the thing had value. so it's very interesting to see sort of how this played out. It's also unique because then you had people uh you know famed short sellers backing him. And of course, they're, but they're famous for being short sellers. And I'm th- talking about Burry, who was obviously a yep. major character
0: in the big short. So there's there's also just sort
1: of all sorts of elements of hypocrisy
0: involved in this situation. So you wrote about fairness today and, and, and you want... Uh, and you, you, you laid out some proposals and said, "By the way, I'm not sure that I think these are good proposals. I'll lay out pros and cons. Can you walk us through? We don't have to do all six. What, what you pick? No, look, what, what do you look, want to highlight?"
1: Well, look. I think to the extent that this is symbolic of something, if it is at all, if you believe that the system is being manipulated, and clearly the public does. I mean, I do think that that if this demonstrated anything, it is that the public has a deep distrust. Of Wall Street and a deep distrust at the idea that the stock market unto itself is fair. And I would not question that. I think that is 100% true. And we should all be trying to figure out how to make the system
0: more fair. But what is also, what does that even mean? What does fairness mean when it comes to Wall Street and investing? Right. If well, look, I can put money in an index fund, I, I can pay next to nothing for doing it and I can get, you know, the same returns as anybody else who puts it in. We're all treated equally there. Clearly, I'm not being compensated like a hedge fund manager, but I can put my money in and I have reasonable uh, standards for I have an expectation for return. And I also have an expectation that my money isn't going to get stolen. What 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 else do we need? I think it's a little
1: different than that. I think that my grandmother doesn't have the same opportunity to, for example, my grandmother can't can't participate in high-frequency trading. Mm-hmm. She can't make the profits that Ken Griffin can make, right? Uh, you know, she doesn't have high-speed computers attached to the exchanges within, you know, a mile of them. She doesn't have access to data um, where she's able to see order flows and all sorts of other things. She can't, afford frankly to buy you know uh, satellite shots of parking lots I think there's a lot of people who look at this and say is it really fair is it is it really possible that the guy uh, in there you know uh, sitting at home really has the same shot now in some ways I think that that my grandmother does have that and I think interestingly one of the things that you and I do and others do, to the extent we're democratizing this, is try to is try to bring people real information that they can they can try to think about this stuff with. So,
0: but but, but, the, but this idea that if if you had more tools, more access, better computers, you could do as good a job as as a pro trader, right? The 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 issue there is the pro traders don't beat the market for the most part the well, traders right. make their money because your grandma or whoever gives them money to manage they charge her for managing it but they don't do better than the market on average um you know if, if you want to go if, if your argument is when i go to the casino my odds are not as good as is this other guy because he's got a better shot at understand he can count cards and i can't that's one thing but you're going to the casino totally
1: i'm not I'm not going to disagree with you uh, in any way, shape, or form in that in that regard. I just think that there are issues about fairness and what what it appears that these folks on Reddit are trying to say, and maybe I'm not getting it right. But I think that they're saying we should have the same opportunity to create wealth as anybody else. And in fact, I think one of the most unique aspects of this entire situation, at least for me as a journalist, and I, I'm very curious where you land, is you know we often talk about investor protection. We're often, cautioning um, the public uh, around Mm -hmm. pump and dump schemes and things of this sort. And in this case, the phrase investor protection is almost turned on its head because these investors oftentimes are saying, no, 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 Andrew, I don't want you protecting me. Stop protecting me. And by the way, you're not really protecting me at all. What you're doing is protecting the big guy. You're protecting the establishment. You're protecting Wall Street. You're protecting the hedge fund.
0: Look, I think if, 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 if everyone signs a waiver and says, this is my money, I know what I'm doing, or I don't know what I'm doing, but I want to bet it anyway. God bless. Uh, it is much easier to make the argument uh, that I don't need to be protected for myself when we're in a you know multi-year bull market and everyone looks real smart, right? The, the SEC was formed after the, yep. the, the 20 stock crash. It's, it's, it is to help people. And I also get the argument that, you know, Startups should should offer should be able to let more people with less money invest in them as well. But again, you're probably gonna lose out, even if it's a winning ticket, right, by the time you're diluted down. It's it's um okay, I'll give there's you a degree one. of unfairness there.
1: I'll give you another one. So insider trading is illegal. We know mm-hmm. that. CEOs are not allowed to pass information to folks. Yes. Uh we have Reg F D. And I like to think that. A lot of executives, or I hope most executives are careful about this stuff, but investors, if you are a big investor in a company, you have access to that management. You can pick up the phone. You can jump on a plane. You can spend time with them. You're not, by the way, jumping on a plane to go across the country five times a year to see this company unless you think there's something materially helpful to you about doing that. Most people don't have access to do that. That's actually one of the reasons I think what we do oftentimes, hopefully, yep. between your podcast and i do on tv and hopefully what i'm writing about hope hopefully democratizes that but at some level is that fair
0: yeah again i mean i I don't i don't you'd have to show me that the people who are going to sit with the netflix uh staff are getting a better sense of how netflix is going to perform than anybody else um i don't know is is it do do we have a sense that, that they they're any better at stock picking after getting that exposure
1: Well, so that's the interesting part, what you do with the information. And what we found is, and you hit it on the head, even the quote-unquote savviest investor who often has the best access to information doesn't necessarily get the trade right, right? Oftentimes, we'll see a headline in the morning, and I bet you may look at the headline, I may look at the headline and think, oh, maybe the stock's going to fall, or maybe the stock's going to rise off of that news. And the opposite happens. Yep. And that's what's so you, such a unique feature, and maybe that's what makes a market.
0: Um, in in your piece, six yeah. ideas to fix the market. The last one is 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 wonky, but I think it's important, and um, so we'll talk about it here. The idea of stopping uh, payment for order flow. Um, this is how Robinhood right now makes their money. They sell they sell the the information about their trades to Citadel right. and other folks. Um, Henry Blodgett thinks this is sort of likely to get to get focused on uh, sort of when GameStop collapses as GameStop collapses right. as well. Do you see that changing? And, and if it did change, would it matter if Robinhood, instead of letting you trade for free, said, all right, we're, you got to pay us five bucks per trade?
1: Well, so that's what's so interesting about it. You know, here we are talking about democratizing the system. Here we are about talking about Reddit users saying we want to have more access to, to the markets. And in very many ways, that's what Robinhood did. It said, we're going to we'll give you free access to the markets. I'm actually personally, I don't think, troubled by payment for order flow. I don't think that's what caused this last problem. And I'm not, it's not clear to me that that has created a, unto itself, an imbalance. I think a lot of other things happened at Robinhood that created their own troubles uh, this, this last week, including not having enough capital mm-hmm. on, and to deal with this, what was genuinely an unprecedented situation. And, frankly, and we can get into the weeds on it. I do think we actually have to, I should have put it in the column. I thought about it, but I thought it was too too much in the weeds. I think we have to rethink the market infrastructure uh, in this country because it's just not modern. The idea that people are trading in milliseconds and then these these trades actually don't get settled for two days right. means that these brokers like Robinhood are on the hook for two days. And that, that creates its own uh, inefficiency. So look, I, I think there, there's issues there. Payment for order flow looks bad from the outside. Payment for order flow reminds me in some ways of, of Facebook, yep. right? Where, where 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 you're not the customer or, or where you're not the customer your data is um, or the advertiser is. So it it's such an interesting sort of wrinkle to this.
0: Yeah. You're never getting anything for free. Right? Nothing's well, for free. As, as, as the old adage goes. So what, what has it been like to be at both deal book the the, right. the the vertical you wrote for the Times, but, but really it's CNBC during yeah. this this frenzy, um, CNBC is is the paper of record for for business, right? right. Um, and a lot of CNBC is dedicated to offering people advice about making trades. That's not really right. what you do in the morning, um, but you are where you are the person people are turning to turning to to sort of understand what's happening today. And so you a week ago you have something that is almost unbelievable. Right? Almost close to being literally unbelievable. How, how, what was it like to be in the middle of that flow? Um, well, well, reporting so, on that.
1: Well, what was so fascinating about it? And it really, for me, hit I, I don't know, it was last Wednesday. I got up in the morning and got on the phone with Gabe Plotkin, who was the hedge fund manager who had actually shorted sort of the famously shorted GameStop and the company everybody thought was, uh, both near bankruptcy, in the midst of getting rescued. And the big question was, had they gotten out of their position? And I got Gabe on the phone. I don't know, what was it, 5.50 in the morning? We went on the air at 6. And I delivered the news that Gabe said that they were out. And what was so fascinating, and this goes to sort of where we are in culture, perhaps, and what the sort of memes and, and what what's happening online, people didn't want to believe it. They didn't want to believe it. they thought it was impossible. Uh, they would look at the total float and they'd say he must be lying. Has this been verified? What's going on? Well, by the way, since then <laughs> he's had to report that he, he lost billions of dollars and was down fifty three percent so I think it's very clear but it, it 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 was very much sort of for the I don't want to say for the first time, but I saw what's happened to political coverage, this idea where people would accuse political journalists of of fake news, right? Yep. Um, In this sort of uniquely, in in this case, around financial news. And that was fascinating. And, And also, I mean, this goes to the question about the pump and dump schemes online, just the amount of lying, just pure lying that's taking place in these chat rooms about what's really happening at any one point.
0: Right, and even with the Melvin Capital example, right? He could have been lying to you. He, it could have been a grand scheme there. There would be a, a real consequences for him for doing so. It's very
1: different than Trump line. Yes.
0: Um, um. But it is one of those things where like, well, just because that guy told this guy and this guy's on TV, how do I know that's true? That I think you're right. It, um, would have been very different five or 10 years ago right. when you didn't have just baked in distrust of all things, not just authority, right. just any source of media. Um, did you find yourself sort of thinking like, all right, how can I get through to the Redditors? Or or do you just feel like you're not even speaking to them anyway? You're speaking to a CNBC audience. It's a different group of
1: people. No, I actually think it's increasingly the same group. And, you know, the next day that night, I interviewed Vlad Tenev, uh, the CEO of Robinhood. It was the first interview that he had given after a day of crazy where Dave Portnoy is running around the internet screaming conspiracy theories and all sorts of things. No, I actually think the, in some ways, the Reddit audience has turned to CNBC to try to better understand what's happening. I will say they, for for, for better or worse, uh, weren't heeding at least my, my advice, nor most of the folks I think who had come on the air and said, this doesn't look right or smell right. But it was it's it was sort of fascinating to to see it play out and 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 again, it goes to what happens in the future
0: do you do you think that the way you report or even just the way you sort of consume information will be permanently changed here that maybe you're gonna spend time on Wall Street bets or whatever the variation of Wall Street bets that we see in the future that instead of ignoring uh, Twitter or elements of Twitter, you'll now soak more of it in because there's stuff bubbling up there?
1: Sure. look, I found myself, you know, I, I recently became a quote unquote. I don't know. if You say you're a member. I I, I got on Clubhouse in the past mm-hmm. couple of months, but last week I found myself listening uh, to a number of Clubhouse rooms where a number of these Reddit traders were were on talking about the trade, talking about the psychology of the trade. I actually found it fascinating just just to sit and listen, not not to talk. Um, and it's humbling in many ways because you, you're sort of for for me, sort of hearing about this. Very different perspective because, as you know, they were espousing this idea of an investment thesis that was so far afield and divorced from what I ever thought an investment thesis was.
0: Do you think, uh, uh, I know you don't program CNBC, no. do you think eventually you guys end up with, they're like, there was a period in early blogging where CNN had a show where someone literally put a camera on a computer and said, here's what's in blogs today. And they just sort of scrolled through it. Do you imagine a sort of, uh, you know, well, aggregation I mean, of, of wall street bets and Reddit and TikTok?
1: Maybe because I'll tell you already, we're constantly citing different people's tweets, right? I mean, that's constantly happening. We're, we're constantly, we, by the way, when Elon Musk hit Clubhouse, we were, you know, we're making what's called full screens of what was being said there. So, and, so all of that's now being monitored in a way that it wasn't obviously even two weeks ago. So uh, yeah, I, I think that there's just going to be more and more news sources that we're going we're gonna, we're gonna to we're gonna have to follow.
0: I'm going to break up this conversation for just a minute so we can hear from a sponsor. We'll be right back.
1: grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started.
0: And we're back. Let's talk about Elon Musk and Clubhouse and, and Vlad. Um, so so as you said, you interviewed the CEO of, of, uh, of GameStop, of Robinhood right. on the day they suspended trading for GameStop. Um, and it was a tough interview and he clearly was not prepared for it. Um, and basically you kept saying, it seems like you've got a liquidity crisis and he was trying to dance around it. Um, and he d- it he like- didn't
1: want to use the word. You know, it was funny. Yeah. I actually thought he basically said we have a liquidity crisis, but kept saying we don't. But, but every time he yeah. used the phrase, no, we don't have a liquidity crisis. But if you're reading between the lines, that's what he was
0: Right, and Same. you and you did the real time reading between the lines. It was excellent journalism, um, but it's it still didn't fully come out of him. Um, and again, it's you're not your job to represent Robin Hood's story, um, but they clearly couldn't sort of explain themselves. To, and there were rumors and and conspiracy theories about what why they actually uh, helped back trading. Cut to Sunday night, I guess Monday morning, sometime in like right. two or four in the morning. Elon Musk is interviewing Vlad on Clubhouse. He gets him the the CEO, the CEO of uh, Robin Hood and says, oh, yeah, we had three billion dollars in commitments that we had to sort of scare up. Um, What do you what do you make of one Elon Musk interviewing uh, people in the news on Clubhouse? Good, bad.
1: Fine. And in just a new feature of the media landscape, it's interesting because there is obviously a huge audience that trusts Elon Musk. And so when he asks a question or he is an interviewer, they, tr- they trust him. And that's a very interesting thing. It's sort of like when Jon Stewart started, started interviewing people, all of a sudden the comedian, people, cu- people trusted mm-hmm. the comedian. In ways, by the way, in some cases more so than
0: the news anchor. Yes. And then so, John Stewart would say, I'm not a, I'm not a journalist. I'm just asking questions or playing around. But he was he was taking it very seriously. Right. He did. He did. He certainly right. saw himself and Look, famously took Jim Cramer to task uh, after after the totally, banking collapse. Totally.
1: Look, uh, John Stewart, though, took his job, I think, very seriously when he when he asked those questions. Mm-hmm. You know, Elon, though, I think that was a bit of a throw. I don't want to say throwaway interview. I, I don't think he had he had prepared or studied for it. He was clearly not. Even uh, I think it was impromptu, if you will. Yeah, the fact and that Vlad was there
0: and his and his persona is one of a troll, right? right. Game stock, and I'm taking my company private at 420. Ha ha ha! And I name my kid a, a weird bunch of codes. Um, so it's it's not the same. On the other hand, plenty of people will take it just as seriously,
1: and they do. And interestingly, you could tell. I, I, look, I, it's audio, so you can't see what's going on, but you could. I, for me, having now interviewed Vlad a number of times. You could, I think, see his brain uh, ticking as he was answering the questions, thinking, "Okay, this is actually a public forum and I have to be as on point as I might be on TV or in any other medium. And in fact, he seemed to go back to his script relatively quickly. I mean, there was sort of Mm -hmm. a casualness in the very beginning and then it sort of sort of came right back. Oh, wait, this mic is on. Yeah,
0: yeah. So uh, what do you think? I mean, it's easy to extrapolate that it's it's the Elon Musk hour every Sunday or whatever it is, or we'll we'll bring in a variety of people who are not traditional journalists, but have followings. Um, That seems fine to me. I mean, you'd like as much disclosure as possible, but you're never going to get everything. And I think. That's fine. I mean, I think it directly threatens, you know, parts of my job, parts of your job, because cool. those people are speaking there and maybe they're going to speak there instead of a code conference or a deal book conference or your or CNBC.
1: A hundred percent. And I think we already start to see it with podcasts over the last couple of years, sort of the, the celebritification of the podcast interviewer mm-hmm. uh, who's now jumping into this space. And by the way, there are fabulous podcasts out there that are being run by people who were never uh, traditional journalists or traditional interviews. Um, you know, So I think it's just going to be another feature of the market. The question is whether the public is going to want that over the, the 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 traditional journalist. That to me is you know, the fundamental question and whether they will understand and and by the way, you can never say, it, it, it's a terrible thing to say. Does that that, that the viewer does the viewer or the yep. listener doesn't understand? That's it sounds terribly condescending in so many ways. So apologies almost in advance because I am about to say it. Um, I do think there are some viewers who don't necessarily appreciate the distinction between the kind of work that you do and I do, and the conflicts of interest policies and all sorts of things that go along with how we have comported ourselves as journalists. And what that means relative to a Hollywood star, for example, or an Elon Musk conducting yeah. an interview. I
0: mean, look, you don't you don't have to couch it, right? I mean, Fox News is 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 a great example. of The fact that tens of millions of people can 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 soak up lies, um, uh, and that's very dangerous for the country, right? Um, and I'm not saying Elon Musk is the same as a Fox News anchor, right. but if you, if you don't play if if you decide that you want to play by different rules you can what do you think concurrently you've got this move by Andreessen Horowitz to, uh, the Silicon Valley uh venture capital fund um to create its own media arm there are also investors in, in Clubhouse I think also in Robinhood I don't think it's yep. quite a a coincidence that that all happened um Jessica Lesson runs the information was on the show last week. She's very upset about this. Right. She was upset on my show and she's subsequently still tweeting about it. She's, she's upset that clubhouse barred, uh, some reporters from, from yep. being in that session. Um, partly to be devil's advocate, but partly I, I just am not that upset about it. I think if you want to make your own publication, God bless. And the market can decide if it's valuable. It probably will do well because you've got a lot of uh, access and clout. And again, it probably makes Jessica's job and my job and your job harder, but that's okay. So look,
1: I love Jessica. I consider her a friend. And it's not that I disagree with her. I am very cognizant of all of the challenges that something like this may very well create. And I do think that it would be helpful And I doubt it will happen, but maybe it will happen. Who knows? Maybe Andreessen Horowitz's projects are going to have a disclaimer at the bottom. In fact, they might be required to by their lawyers in some ways uh, to suggest what's going on here because they take in money from accredited investors and all of these other things. We'll see. We'll see what kind of disclosures are on it or not. Um, You know, if you close your, your clubhouse room to me, I'll feel bad for myself. But I don't think that that's, uh, you know, there's a lot of people who don't invite me to dinner parties, and um, I'm cool with that. And uh, may, And by the way, it makes your job as a reporter, poten- potentially your job becomes trying to figure out what happened at the dinner party. So, and, yeah. and that's been going on forever.
0: And by the way, if, if if you have a dinner party with 5,000 people and kick out specific reporters from the New York Times you know, it's your right. You can do it legally. It makes you look like a big baby. Yeah, by uh, the way,
1: it makes, it makes you look bad. I mean, it, this is similar to, you know, when the White House was kicking out reporters, uh, you know, f- from the press briefings. And obviously it was a pu- pu- these public events. Everybody could see it. I, I don't think it inured to the benefit of the president in that case. And I don't think it'll inure to the benefit uh, of, uh, of, of a venture capital firm or somebody else uh, who operates that way.
0: What? Why do you think... Um why do you think uh, traditional finance types haven't tried to do a version of that? I know at one point Jamie Dimon was looking at buying Fortune, um, and they were yeah, but
1: I think that was more of a plaything for him.
0: It was so, definitely a plaything, right? Um, but I, I'm curious why no one has. You know, when you see billionaires buying buying publications, it's usually uh, sort of for the halo effect, and at least they'll say they don't want to. Sheldon Adelson aside, they don't want to interfere with the way the properties run. Why why hasn't someone on Wall Street decided, oh, you know what, enough of this Wall Street Journal, New York Times bullshit. I'm going to tell you the, 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 the story that you should hear, which is my version of the truth.
1: Well, a couple of things. If you remember, Bruce Wasserstein created the deal. And of course, I'm so very familiar with the deal. The deal was a publication that started in the late 90s, maybe early aughts, to late 90s. Uh, All around deal making, and in fact, DealBook competed with it uh, for many, many years. It still exists. It was um, acquired by theStreet.com, I think. Sounds right. Um, So people have attempted this in certain ways. I'm not sure the Wall Street the psychology of a Wall. You know, people in the Valley spend a lot of time online. They're 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 interested in information and consuming information and UI and product it's just a such a different view uh, and different lens i think for for folks on wall street but i think increasingly they're going to be seeing what's happening in these spaces and maybe you'll see them jump in and do their own
0: yeah i mean part of the part of the ideology in silicon valley right is that you want to explicitly break free and tear down established things and so you know, making your own publication is both a, a, a thing you want to do for practical reasons, perhaps, and also it's definitely a, a stick of a finger in the eye of the establishment. The totally. media that doesn't exist on the East Coast. Um, speaking of, of East Coast media yep. people who are in business, Steve Cohen, SEC,
1: formally SAC, now SAC. Point, now point seventy two, and maybe better known as the Mets owner.
0: Now the Mets owner was on Twitter. Yep was 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 going back and forth with Dave Portnoy and then said actually I've got to get off Twitter I'm being threatened. Um what do you what do you think life is how do you think Steve Cohen thought this version of of being a public figure was going to work for him?
1: I'm I'd, I'm not sure what He sort you, of famously
0: secretive prior to this.
1: Yeah, you know, I think the second he bought the Mets this other side of him came out and he decided i'm going to jump in and try to do this and i think i mean part of it is you know most of these i don't want to say these folks have thin skin but when you're out on social media it's just it's just a different world and mm-hmm. i know at least for me it's taken a very long time to accept you know i very rarely block anybody i i read the stuff it's, you know, half have it's terrible if you know if twitter's real life it's a cesspool and you feel you would feel horrible about yourself all the time I'm not sure that a lot of these people, especially at those levels, typically expose themselves to these yep. types of views every day.
0: No, they certainly don't. Right. They 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 have lots of people who work to to insulate them from that right. generally, uh, even if they don't want to be insulated, they get insulated. Um, I can't let you go without no. asking you about billions. I've seen every episode except for the last season because I knew they were only going to be partial seasons. It was so a, it was a partial
1: season. Yeah, I'm just I held a, off.
0: I, I, yeah, go ahead. So your name is your name is prominently displayed in the opening yep. credits, but you so and I know that you are not actively involved in the show and Hollywood for some I'm time. I'm just
1: the proud Papa. I, I run the I run the fan club. So explain
0: explain how you helped birth uh, billions.
1: Oh goodness, it started. I want to say back in 2010 or 11. I just finished uh, working on Too Big to Fail, uh, which we turned into a film for HBO, and I started thinking about you know was there an opportunity to create. Something else. I was so fascinated. It's such, it was such a great learning experience for me to be part of that. And I thought, you know, nobody's really ever put a financial show on on its, you know, on TV that's really worked. I mean, there were a lot of efforts to do a Wall Street shows on TV that failed miserably. Mm-hmm. And I was fascinated with hedge funds. That was sort of the story at the time. Um, I think maybe was it Raj Raj Rajaratnam one of the big hedge fund managers was, was, was being prosecuted by the way, Steve Cohen was not back then. Uh, I don't think, or maybe it, it hadn't, it hadn't begun in earnest back in 2010 or 11. Anyway. Um, so I started playing around with, with, you know, storylines around, around hedge funds. Um, and most of my friends and I, I had an agent in LA was saying, Oh, this is such a terrible idea. Everyone hates hedge funds. Why, why was anyone going to care about the family of somebody at a hedge fund? And I remember coming back, I think I'd been in LA, I came back uh, to New York. My wife was watching a um, a repeat of Law & Order on USA Networks. And I said to her, you know what kind of shows always work? Legal shows, procedurals. People like procedurals. People understand procedurals. I don't know why that is. Why do people love the cat and mouse of the law chasing something? And that was when I thought, oh, well, what happens if you were to pit these two worlds against each other and maybe set them against type. Right. So the hedge fund manager is you think is terrible, but maybe does these things that you think are, you know, right. And then, you know, the prosecutor is conflicted and all of that. So for me, that's how it, it, it really began. And then I, I, I spent, I don't know, six or eight months trying to find partners uh, to get involved with, to, to, to put it on its feet. And I, I, we got a very lucky call also from my agent, uh, a guy at CAA. He said, there are these two guys, uh, really talented guys who wrote uh, Rounders. Do you know Rounders? I'm like, yeah. And they're like, well, they just called me and they're they're actually talking about this space. You should go uh, spend some time with them. And uh, I went up on the Upper East Side and we sat together. And then we probably spent, I don't know, this is now 2000, I don't know, thirteen or 14. And we spent about I don't know, six, eight months sort of working on it and then we sold it. We wrote the pilot, sold it to Showtime. I think it, we maybe filmed the pilot in fifteen and then maybe it aired. The first season was in sixteen. So but as I said, I, I'm just the proud pop at this point. So you're but, proud you're but Brian you got match Koppel, made. But Brian Koppelman and Dave Levine uh deserve a uh, enormous amount of credit, of course. And they uh have really uh Done an extraordinary job with
0: it. So I'm sure you have to say the "I'm a proud Papa" line daily because someone asks you about billions. Um, I'm, I assume the second thing you have to say is that person isn't really based on that person. What's the? I think oh. a lot of people think that Axe is based on Steve. Oh, Cohen. Sure. What's the? Yeah. What's the? Do you? I. And but presumably some people are based on real life figures. So do you have to sort of like either hide the decoder ring or like oh. set people straight? I
1: don't- I sometimes do, but I, I don't want I don't, I to don't speak for speak for the show. Insofar as, especially now that now that, now that the show's is already into you know mid season five and they're working mm-hmm. on season six and more, um, but yeah, you no know, people 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 are always asking about is this so and so and this is so and so. You know, I think in the beginning, at least for me, I thought about different aspects of people and and things like that. I don't think they really were ever based on you know individuals in a full way. And I also think very quickly that, and I just imagine this at this point in terms of, if you were to talk to Brian David or David or the folks in the writer's room, I think that at this point, these are fully formed characters. Yep. So I don't, I'm, I don't know if, I don't think that, that right, the writers are sitting around saying, Oh, so-and-so did this. Let's, let's try to rip that thing off that way. I think that, you know, Bobby Axelrod or, 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 or Chuck are, are, they're, they're almost their own people at this point, which is such a fascinating thing to have watched, to sort of watch and, I mean, to, to help birth and, but also then to watch and develop has been, uh, you know, very gratifying and exciting to see.
0: I like that you added, uh, helped create a hit show uh, to your resume along with holds down two full-time jobs at the same time. So um, I'm going to let you go get some rest. Thank you. You, you got I appreciate to it. Do.
1: It's great to see you and I appreciate you too, uh, taking the time.
0: Thanks, Andrew. Take care. Thanks. Bye.